0: Before you go Hi uh, As you will discover folk are leaving already <laughs> We are struggling as a Sorry, podcast Before you start Before we start uh, This is our little uh, cash call um, It's different to how we used to do it uh, We used to just ask you to donate cash Now you can still do that But there's an even better way Because you can join our Patreon You can be- become a Patreon And for that, you get things in return. Things. Things in return. Uh, Services. What are those things? For the mere price of $2 a month, you get the episode two days early. You get it, well, three days early. You get it on a Friday rather than a Monday. Yeah. Um, And then. Bonus episodes. You get bonus episodes, and you get to be part of. A club uh, Which also, is just the coolest thing Also Mark Says Your Name Which is truly the greatest Oh yeah and owners. then Mark Says Your Name During an episode yeah. Um There's then also different levels And different tiers to that Will Um we'll, uh, You can do like $5, $10 Blah 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 And they get you different things That include uh, merch Personalised playlists All these things Um We've actually got a few think, A few of these things to send out And do still uh, Yeah, Uh We're halfway through some of them But uh, apologies to those folk Who are still waiting on stuff But yeah Life
1: gets in the way Even though you've paid us um, You can donate $10,000 if you want Yeah that's an option $10,000 and we will uh, Come to your house anywhere in the world And clean it And spend um, the whole day with you But yeah Please don't make us do that So you can go to uh, <laughs>
0: Patreon.com slash unsungpod uh, Or unsungpod.net slash patreon <laughs> Either way <laughs> works Yes um, But yeah it's uh, It's really nice to be able to Make money Yes. <laughs> to support ourselves a little tiny bit And by support ourselves I don't mean like Send money back home to our families I mean Actually pay for the web hosting And When something breaks We can replace it That's literally yeah. it mm-hmm. uh, We don't make any money out of this But we do We finally have got to the point Where
1: we're not losing money on it
0: Which is a joy So thank you very much It's fantastic
1: Thank you very much guys
0: And also as you'll discover I've uh, Also discovered Discogs.com And that <laughs> is an expensive habit To get into So please no. send as much money as the possible the truth comes <laughs> <away. Yeah. laughs> it's really quite a dangerous place
1: Hi there. Hey guys. Welcome to the Unsung Podcast. Have um, either of you guys ever been to Japan? No, but you have. I
0: have. Yeah. Hmm. I Does would it? really like to go. I'm planning on going soon. You'd think that would make me hate this episode less.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, did you, did you consume a lot of this when in Japan, then, Chris? <laughs> well,
0: that was the main reason you went over there to go through. Um, to go bin diving, in bin all diving and all the Japanese records. Looking for old compact discs. discs. Yeah. My
1: God. Um, it was a pilgrimage. It was, uh, it was probably the most extensive work i've ever done I've trying to find a record of my entire fucking life <laughs> i have really fond memories of my trip to
2: japan uh thankfully this is not one of them good stuff well <laughs>
1: how are you this week chris
2: <laughs> actually uh we are all falling apart to some yeah, extent i are. think Oh, well, mm-hmm. maybe david's okay this week he's got over that
0: i've been yeah i'm kind Permacold. of over that
2: poor cold i've had uh, but, uh, uh mark and i have both injured our backs and yeah. then mark one up to me with a
1: migraine shortly prior to recording. Yeah, I went blind. It was awful. It was totally awful. Well, I'm very do, glad do, do, that you made it in. That's very recommend. impressive. So
2: we're going to mump and moan our way through this
1: otherwise really quite cheery and banal episode. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like for the past three weeks we did really intense sad music and then we go into a happy record and we're still really intense and sad but for different reasons. <laughs> I just thought we needed a little break. Yeah, Dave's just at the troll though. Because
2: we could cover as much intense, dimy, sad music as you want and it wouldn't make me feel worse
0: than this made me feel (laughs) (laughs) i was just trying to press your buttons and you've mainly uh mark you've mainly been moving house Yes, i started moving house on friday finished
1: basically today which is tuesday for uh, for the record and i am did you move the entire house i felt like i did (laughs) i felt like i just like cut the flat out of the building (laughs) put it on my back took it down the road um I feel like I've turned into a C-shape, like my body's turned into a C-shape. <laughs> it's Yes, my, my back is completely ruined and my calves hurt like fuck. I'm on the third floor now, so... because like they're shredded now. <laughs> I hope so. You're one of those weird <laughs> guys that you can tell goes jogging too much because you've got those bulbous oh, I calf that. snail that things. Yeah. So much, that freaks me out so much, man. Disgusting. That freaks me out so much. wrong with them? Like cyclists as well. Like, like, like really big legs, but it's like, that's so weird, man. You're so skinny. Why are your legs so fucking big? It's odd. Yeah, no, none of those things. Just a lot of pain for me too, David. Uh, well, I actually I went to see Pelican
0: on last week at some point. Has their drummer Thursday. learned how to play yet? Well, so funnily enough, so was at the Classic Grand. and It was about half full, and I was just kind of aware it was like a total sausage fest as well. <laughs> um, and I'm like, okay, I'm interested to see how this is because I really enjoyed the the last album. It's like a step up from their previous two or three records, I think. And then they started. And I was like, yep, yeah, they've got riffs, but the drummer is just doing his drums badly again. Oh, man. And like, oh, it's it's really distracting. You're, you're just like, oh, do something interesting, please. Or be exactly on time because you're just, if, he's just always at the limit. And this was actually, I was, I don't know if it's too harsh to do, but maybe we could do a seven inch <laughs> where we feel like a band is being held back by, by a member. member. I don't don't know if there's a more
2: blatant or well-known example than Pelican because everybody I
0: know, even the people that are huge fans of them, will concede that the drummer sucks. Uh, Now, I do have to say that after two, two and a half songs, you kind of forget about the drummer and you're lost. And by the end of that, I was like, they were fucking brilliant. They were really, really, really good. Like the new stuff is some of the heaviest stuff they've done. And then... Uh, they finished on Mammoth which annoyed me because there was two guys next to me that kept shouting Mammoth play Mammoth and I hate to fucking uh, concede pander, to the, yeah. and pander to the shouters but uh, man yeah they were really really good despite their drummer yeah, that was that, that is literally
2: the 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 copy and paste review of Pelican. <laughs> yeah, so, awesome,
1: but better than did.
2: Yeah, the third They're time never was... going to change him. They, they, they either are so so tight as a group of guys, or he has so much compromise on the rest of the band mm. that uh, it's, it's it's clearly never going to change now. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, well, I'm um, is the uh, I think. Two of them are drummers. Uh, them are drummers. <laughs> I think. I think the drummer. Think one of them's a drummer. The drummer, and one of the guitarists are brothers. So oh, well, they, are bound, they are
1: bound. They are bound forever. by blood. Yeah, bound forever. Okay, now man, it's like, the, it's like asking me brother playing the band to is not that good. It's just like just, just come. I mean, we need a drummer. You can do that, right? And then, fifteen, twenty years later, you still doing it. He's what's like, that? Uh, what's that Steinbeck novel uh, of Mason men? yeah it's like that oh no oh dear (laughs) Uh,
0: my uh, second cultural highlight of the week was on Saturday night I was asked to uh, well about a year ago I was asked to DJ a wedding of a couple of folk uh, a woman I know basically from coming to my DJ nights she mm-hmm. said, I basically want that at our wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Full. I, but she was like, you know, play to the crowd, and it's mostly there's going to be a mix and there's going to be aunties. So just do wedding classics for a while. But they're like, the friends and all that are all kind of emos and moshers and rockers. So uh-huh. there's good Jimmy World and Weezer and blah, blah, blah. And then the wedding was until half 12, and the groom came up to me at 12 and said, okay, can you please play Dreamhouse by Death <laughs> Uh So I played that at midnight at a wedding and uh, he then grabbed the mic and screamed along with it uh, while a small circle of about 15 people were really into it. Aunties. And every auntie and uncle left throughout the 10 minutes of uh, post-black metal. Um, but I yeah, know, that was I my first exactly black metal. Yeah, it was, it was a good wedding. Nice. Looks like fun. Says
2: that you were in your element. Well, really. It truly really was. We've got a mixture of moshers and aunties. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that <laughs> is my uh, my target demographic.
1: <laughs> oh dear. Uh, I thought, you know, yeah. Speaking of aunties, um, this, is, uh, this is a bit anti-adjacent, this music, is it not, Dave? Um, it's smooth. I'd <laughs> give you <laughs> that. It's easy listening. Anything that gives rise to a, a
2: genre called future funk She'd really be flagged.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, morning, <laughs> so uh, this week I've gone for a, f- a curveball, I'll allow it, I will say that. It's uh, a Maria stink, a stink Takeji, ver- <laughs> uh, 1984 record, Variety. Um, and you know what? I, I'm not e- I don't even give a shit about this album, right? I just wanted to talk about it. And there are just several interesting discussion points that stem from it, right? I was just going to say, well, can I just say I vote no. Let's spend the next 40 odd minutes just chatting about the footballism. Uh, no, so, I mean, why this? Um, why, why this? this? Why yeah. this? Why? Because... Well, it's just really interesting. That, so it comes from this genre called Japanese city pop. Mm-hmm. Um, Can we uh, just pause for a moment? Mm-hmm. We are far
2: too high-minded a podcast to do the sort of uh, Trey Parker city
0: walk joke. <laughs> <laughs> but shitty pop would have really worked. Uh, well, uh, some some people in the early 80s, whilst this was mainstream in Japan, did call it shitty pop. And yeah, so it's basically... Um, Big pop music from the late 70s early 80s mid 80s from Japan and it was kind of it was what it was in Japan and it was big and smooth hell on earth <laughs> <laughs> well no it was it was no, um, i mean that, the point of this music is the fact
2: that Japan in that era wasn't hell on earth that it was yeah it was a booming, very yeah it was. it was
0: you know the japanese economy was doing very well after the war uh, finally you know getting back into it and money was everywhere and it was basically like a sort of mirror image of LA on the other side of the Pacific. Okay.
2: Um, weird that music that's so bland can elicit such hatred, but mm. I despise it. Yeah. Um but it's, it is an interesting um phenomenon, put it that way. The the fact that there's so much socioeconomics behind the sound mm-hmm. and so so much like cultural and technological progress involved in distilling this very odd uh, kind of avatar of Japanese life at the time. I mean, that yeah. is that is a pretty pretty
1: uh, intriguing phenomenon. What um, I found quite interesting about it is the fact that I, I read a few different history, like I just a few different articles online, on the history of Japanese black like, pop music, mm-hmm. and this isn't talked about very much. Not a lot of time is devoted to to city music, uh, city pop in particular.
0: Yeah, well, I I think that you can see it as a sort of parallel with like British and American pop like this sort of MOR was never really given any legitimacy when it was big in the 80s here Mm -hmm. you know you're talking about stuff like you know maybe Steely Dan or the Doobie Brothers and you know stuff like that (laughs) <laughs> and it's sort of beige background music i don't, like i
2: mean it's note for note lifted from a lot of big american disco from the 70s like
0: oh, some of it is no, no, some of it is but a lot like some of the more interesting uh, artists definitely added their own japanese pop sensibilities to it oh, i mean without a doubt there are there Japanese elements quite often in the instrumentation
2: but there's like a couple of good examples if you look it up online there's like comparison videos Uh, one of the main acts in this found in the found in the movement really Sugar Babe from like 1974 Mm -hmm. um, their track Downtown is identical to the track If You Were There by the Eilid Brothers from 1973, two
0: years prior. Um,
2: There was Omega Tribe. I've got a track that is Literally a cover of George Duke without being a cover. <laughs> Um, Junko, uh, is it Junko Ohashi? It's a really famous one in the genre. Uh, the, the, the cover with the twin towers on it and mm. a kind of like New York kind of panoramic shot. The track on that called "I Love You So," which is very very similar to a Chaka Khan song called "What You're Gonna Do for Me" from 1981, which was three years before. So. The people that were making it, even the really high-end folk, guys like, um, I'm going to try it, Tatsuro Yamashita? Yamashita, Yamashita, yeah. Yeah, they don't really pronounce the A's as clearly as we do, though, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, so he's the king of City Pop, and he's he's got stuff, even then, that was extremely close to uh, tracks that Mm -hmm. were kicking about in the American disco scene at the time. So... It, it was lifting, it was appropriating elements of American culture and repackaging them for a Japanese audience rather than being some incredibly innovative, you know, a grassroots movement in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you set the ball in motion, David. Oh. and I, I picked up the ball yeah. and I ran with it. Oh, I'm happy to do so, that. So, in 1920...
0: <laughs> for fuck's sake!
2: <laughs> uh, hey. Carry on. Okay, you asked for it. Yeah, I'm happy. 1920 really is basically when modern Japanese popular music started in earnest. Um, Obviously, Japanese culture had been very, very different and very traditionalist uh, up to that point. I believe the word, and again, the pronunciations of these are going to be horrendous. I'm really sorry for any Japanese or Japanese-speaking listeners. We're trying our best. As Scotsmen, we know how bad it is when we hear our names bastardised on shows, so... Don't take it personally, um, but uh, I believe it was kind of known as Ryukoka, and that sort of, the influence of the USA post-war played a big part. So US soldiers that were posted in the Far East and the base, military bases, uh, the influence that the USA tried to exert on Japan as well to try and sort of modernise it, uh, the the influx of people fleeing communist China as well, bringing certain aspects to that culture, especially the liberal culture from there that they were seeking to preserve uh, and the communists were sort of squeezing it out. Um, all these elements started to create quite an unusual effect on Japanese culture, which had until then been quite resilient to outside influence. And it did start to permeate gradually. Um, Western instruments started to get introduced um, and also... Elements of genres like jazz and blues and soul, uh, things like crooning started to mm-hmm. appear. Interestingly, crooning I finally found is defined as a tenor voice but at a lower volume than opera, yeah, mm-hmm. in terms of technical descriptions. Yeah, I'd never really descriptions, yeah.
0: thought of it as a genuine thing. No, yeah, well, I go. just thought it was like a description. Um, but that uh,
2: Ryukoka, uh, and again sorry, this is a very thumbnail sketch of uh, the history here um <laughs> skimming through it it later split into two kind of basic branches of popusu uh, which is kind of more jazzy in origin and enki and then around about the 1960s a much more modern style uh called kayo kyoku started to appear that was sort of there was a big trend in japan for things like rockabilly there were a lot of japanese adaptations of elvis presley this this phenomenon of them seeing trends in the likes of america and in the UK at the time and then sort of making a Japanese version of it for their market uh, which still goes on today of course Um, the Beatles actually played in Japan in 1966 uh, and that was first of all a big cultural moment for them Um, and the the first really notable kind of Japanese band called the Drifters opened up for the Beatles on that tour and that was they were one of the first really prominent Japanese homegrown sort of pop rock acts
0: (laughs) Um,
2: there was an Areki boom from like 1962, which saw like the electric guitar sort of begin to be popularized. Uh, there was also in the 1960s a thing that's with the translations pleasantly beige, uh, the Japanese language rock controversy, uh, which was a rift between english and japanese singers really like who was who was delivering in their native tongue and who was trying to sing in english in the hope that they would access a bigger market or just that the music would have a slightly more cutting edge contemporary feel to it um there were bands like uh, happy end who appeared shortly after that they were a big part of the 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 origin of this genre that we're covering They stayed in Japanese and as a result kind of staked a bit of a claim to the, the title of Fathers of Japanese Pop. Um, also, I think I think for most people they'll often identify Japanese music uh, with its love of psychedelia and big rock. Uh, that became a big thing in the 1970s. Uh, there was also a lot of electronica starting to emerge. Um, and a big part of the electronica emerging was because of Japanese technology being so far ahead. Um, I mean, first of all, Synthesizers, musical equipment itself. Even to this day, the Japanese inventions were often amongst the best you could find, excepting guys like Moog and stuff. Uh, and that led to a distinct series of sounds becoming popularized in that market. But also, as we'll see, with city pop, even the fact it's called city pop, things like the Walkman, uh, things like car stereos, were the car stereos in particular um, were hugely important in in city pop as a genre. Formed an identity even Including the aesthetic Because the, the covers were all You know Cars And like Like you said about The kind of Pacific Coast Highway vibe mm-hmm. And Or people moving through Neon cities You know Moving through streets With loads of Webs of neon above them Some of it's quite manga-esque In its look And a lot of the A lot of city pop bands Actually soundtracked A lot of the early manga stuff As well And so The, the origins The technological origins Of the genre Actually lent themselves To the aesthetic And then Lent themselves to the sound, and it's really interesting how the sound is this weird mix of it's. It's not just a purely musical conclusion; it's Mm -hmm. it's a conclusion of a myriad different factors. That that created this one thing, and even the phrase, the fact it's called city pop, It was seen as being really
0: modern. Seen as being yeah, really like what did they say? It's like urban music for those who live an urban lifestyle. Yeah, exactly.
2: It, it was a, it was a which is so it was a lifestyle vague, thing, but yeah. you know it is yeah. But for Japan, this was its like first real experience of that, and it was mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was a a big culture shock for them. I think I noticed as well there was a lot of uh, interesting commentary in some of the videos and documentaries I watched, saying that. Um, even though it might seem quite conservative to us now, city pop played a big part in women's lib in J- in Japan. Because mm-hmm. even although there had been women in pop music before, in 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 the years when it started to kind of form in the fifties and sixties, they sang about very very conservative. Yes. You know, respectful love and marriage And these kind of things Like some of the biggest songs
0: Yeah, could, and it, well, it, was n- it was never like
2: things. a individual like Liberated voice that they had Yeah, and what you had with this move Including um, the the lady we're talking about uh, Maria Takeuchi Women finally singing about things like One night stands Which was incredibly risky for them You know, like singing about taboo subjects And that kind of added to the aesthetic And the contemporary feel And the exciting feel The kind of taboo nature of it yeah, it's 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 all in there. It's all wrapped up in that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And obviously that aesthetic seems really arcane to us now. So when we look at it now, it's very much a retro experience. It's, I mean, we'll talk about uh, Plastic Love, but it, it's an absolutely guilty retro indulgence yeah. now to, to really engage in a big way with this music. It's so outdated. And even the genres that spawned, like Vaporwave and Future Funk, they are knowingly... Playing on the, the the naivety of their sound, mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the most successful ones are the ones that most ape, yeah, uh, that
0: sort of primitive. Well, I mean, we go back to which, like um, stuff like Larue, for instance, and that was is taken like just that straight Western eighties pop, and did it successfully. And even the Knife was going back and doing that synth pop uh, Western thing and regurgitating it, and we we then saw. Um, sort of, it must have been late 2000s, maybe 2010, with the release of Drive and its soundtrack and then that whole sort of synth-pop, synth-wave thing that became a huge thing. Like, nostalgia was a big part of that.
2: I think, actually, I I totally agree with that. The synth-wave thing has very similar aesthetics Mm -hmm. to this. When you look at even the fonts and the cover designs, a lot of it is very, very, very similar Guys like Perturbator, the, the, yeah. the French electronic artist. Some of his covers,
0: okay, they're a bit more action movie, but the songs but like, are almost identical. Yeah, yeah, like they're they're going back directly to Western cultural influences, mm-hmm. stuff like, I don't know, like Terminator and John Carpenter movies on mm-hmm. the darker like end. Big trouble on Little Chim- And then, yeah, like yeah. stuff like that. And then Japanese city pop is that, but then with like one step further away or like another cultural bridge uh, thing yeah, yeah it's like, like a cultural a bridge lost in it's transl- translation element as well yeah. yeah it's like oh this feels nostalgic and i've got all these touchstones but i've never heard any of this before mm-hmm. and also it's in a different language so it's like a weird nostalgia you feel like it's like you know it but you don't actually know any of it so it's it's all yeah you know that that uh that quality
2: was really key a couple of the the documentaries as well um i would say like I, as you say the, the the trend towards retro and nostalgia and appropriating especially appropriating sounds that were seen as being quite passé when they came out even mm-hmm. so like phil collins is an interesting example phil collins who became went all the way through to being like basically a joke you know mm-hmm. south park and things like that m- mocking him to the fact that like even like Toro Imois, who was like Pretty, yeah, pretty big for a while. She
0: feels my love, and I Say
2: that like he's some of his stuff is literally like a Phil Collins album track. I mean, yeah, yeah,
0: and you've got like bands like Kindness and Blood Orange and stuff like that, like people who have cultural cachet <laughs> um, now are going back and finding these, you know, big, like, uncool uh, artists and finding influence from them. So there's... What you said
2: there, though, about the nostalgia... the, The familiarity for something that you haven't actually heard before. That, um, that, is it jamais Vu? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I, was, I, just, I had literally just Googled the name for that and I couldn't find it.
2: Yeah, so um, there's an interesting Japanese word for that. Um, and Because what this made me think about was, why are we so fixated on incredibly banal music from these eras? Now, don't get me wrong, I know, I know people, when you get to a certain age especially, you, you can start to actually find... Pleasure in some of these things that did seem dead, corny, and cheesy, and passe. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that people don't enjoy it; they shouldn't. But, <laughs> but they, many, many do. But I was more kind of like interested in the phenomenon itself. Like, what is it we're looking for? And one of the one of the theories that was proffered in one of the documentaries, which is quite good, um, was that there's a little bit of it as a retreat from the from the the despair. Of, of modern culture and I don't yeah. want to be too sort of um, millenarian about that you know it's not like the, the world has always had trouble and problems and stuff but there's a yeah there's a, an existential dread now especially with the ubiquity of of news cycles and media and inability to escape into your own life you're surrounded yeah. constantly and this increasing appetite for not just retro but retro that's deeply unchallenging. Mm. You know, like you said, appeals to a sense of familiarity, even if it's technically speaking, a new product, it just pushes all the familiar buttons that you need pushed yep. to rekindle a feeling that you had. And it's not necessarily a real feeling. So it turns out there's a really good Japanese word. Um, again, excuse me, i uh, absolutely molested it, but uh, Natsukashi. Okay. And it's not as simple as nostalgia because what it describes is a sort of yearning nostalgia, not so much for the the circumstances or the time or the city or the company it's not about the specifics it's a nostalgia for the sense of security and safety even if it's not necessarily real so it's a nostalgia for a perceived retrospectively sort of idealised time Mm -hmm. in your life or in history where things just seemed safer and better and and less worrisome you know and simpler maybe is another way to put it and part of that's tapped into by you know people like donald trump and you know make america great again when you're like what exactly is this Mm -hmm. age that we're, we're we're looking for here um but it's also in the sense of this this is like a slightly more benign manifestation of of that sentiment where you're you're trying to reimagine a time that probably didn't ever really exist if you actually mm-hmm. started to pick it apart there were loads of worries and fears and problems in the world but it's useful to you as a re- an escape and yeah. I think I think this music and the aesthetic especially
0: you know the like the 8-bit aesthetic as well that's yeah. that's all well, part I mean of I think out. I think the 80s was sort of the last guilt-free era um, and it was also an era of e- fucking boomers. Yeah, well, it was an, a time of you know economic prosperity. Um, and I think you look back at like just look back at films from each decade, and you can even see in like the sort of the color palette. When I think of seventies films, I think of stuff like French Connection and you know wet, dingy New York streets vanishing because, point. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. um, kind of cold. Uh, and then yeah, when you think yeah. of eighties films, you think of. Day sunshine day glow blue skies you know pink cadillacs blah 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 and it's like yeah i mean I and then mean, i just
2: pink cadillacs is probably more of a 50s 60s thing but i know well you know what about, i mean like yeah, yeah. You're talking about like the new york neon the fucking taxis miami vice all this kind of like yeah exactly
0: yeah, like um don johnson you know, hawaiian shirts, yeah la sunsets yeah, all that yeah, sort I'm of sure, stuff yeah. um but then also it was like the 80s was a time when you didn't know about climate change you didn't know about aids a generation living guilt-free that's why oh, the, early the early 80s, 80s. 80s. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know mm-hmm. what i mean and then you know that's why glam rock was you know it was this time of excess as well um so it, it's like yeah, it was very vivid uh, everyone was dialed up to 10 exactly because people just thought we could like and it was you know fed by thatcher and reagan and it was all about individualism it was all about just do whatever the fuck you want because you are a powerful human being and if you've got cash then you've earned it and blah 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 and like even though you might not agree with that politically in any way and you don't think that that system uh, is in any way a, a positive thing you can still individually go fuck I wish I'd lived then because it would have been fucking amazing you know in a very guilty pleasure sort of way. Yeah and in a way though that's not very likely not representative of the reality.
2: I mean, for example, yeah, exactly. It's a little New, dream. New York in the eighties was fucking really struggling under yeah. crime crane waves and things. Yeah. But that's kind of the point. Yeah, it is that phenomenon. Uh, and then on it, the on the other side of Natsukashi, as I say.
0: yeah, on that that other side, you think of all those LA movies. But then you even look at something like They Live, you know, for instance, mm-hmm. which is like that literal. Oh, just lift your eyes, and you can lift your, the, I, the, the sunglasses, yeah. and you literally see in Hollywood that. Homelessness and the bin fight and stuff like that. Like it's just a smooth surface, but you don't remember the shit. The the eighties was probably just one big long bin fight, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, you would. Yeah, I mean, it was a bin fight between Russia and America. It was a bin fight between the miners and Thatcher. Yeah, yeah. it's just a big fucking bin fight. Celtic and Rangers. What is life? Um, Yeah, it it was uh,
2: probably a bit of a mess. So, but I think it's interesting that this genre represents so much of that. Both then and also now. So then it represented it unironically, it represented the Japanese culture, trying to appropriate aspects of American culture, trying to modernise post-war recovery, uh, all those kind of things. And then now it sort of represents that, but in a different context, which is sort of retro and uh, sentimental and nostalgic. Um, it's it's an interesting wrinkle then also that the reason that this genre fell out of favor was because of the, the what they call the lost decade uh, when the the depression uh, economic depression set in in Japan, mm-hmm. in, Japan in the nineties and the, the young folks couldn't relate to this music whatsoever it just didn't reflect the the hardships that I guess to some extent their economy is really still trying to shake because it was it was such a a consistent uptick that then crashed. Uh, with with a lot of like negative effects, uh, like really really noticeable, long lasting negative impact on their culture, and yeah, and so this music just no longer seemed to apply to to that that climate. Um, but David, as I'm sure you're going to inform us, it has since risen uh, and caught the ear of a whole new generation of pop singers, especially
0: in the Far East. Uh yeah. Well, I mean, since sort of 2010 and YouTube, um, there's been a mix of club. DJs and producers that have started to discover this sort of thing, and just over the last seven or eight years, it's just come to the attention of Western culture a whole lot more and like in a very postmodern way. In some ways, and sometimes it's ironic, and sometimes it's just holy fuck, I can't believe we missed this song in the 80s. Um, it's an
2: interesting distribution aspect to it as well, though, because I mean, even um excuse me again, Tatsumo Yamashita, mm-hmm. even though he was the king of City Pop, he did not have a single distribution deal outside uh, outside of Japan. Yeah. Or at least, sorry, at least in the West, if you will, uh, until, well, I mean, does he even still, does he have one officially? I don't know if he does. I'm not sure if he does, um, no. And that's astonishing. That's, that's like, you know, who, who would be a, a good comparison over here? You know, it's like the head, the, 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 the pinnacle of a yeah it'd be somebody like oh, David Boye know, fucking or something George like. Michael or something yeah, yeah. yeah so like somebody like Boy, George Michael someone of that calibre in Britain not having a, a distribution and so yeah. super famous I mean uh, Maria Takuchi sold 16 million records Yeah, and we only discovered her as a novelty 30
0: years later yeah with that song Plastic Love mm-hmm. Um, which I mean if you don't like the rest of the album You have to agree oh, that, I, that song is I fucking d- amazing I despise the rest of the album I, And to be fair I do despise that song as well. Oh fuck off Christopher You've got no joy in your life <laughs> um, Hey at least I'm trying to engage With the subject matter Okay Yeah no no I'm very it's impressed It's brought me a lot of suffering And I think I've risen above it anyway I know you, You're digging amongst Your own what, blood here. In, in my first draft
2: of this show In my head When you picked it I was like I am going to fucking swear For about five 50 minutes here. <laughs> so, this is definitely an improvement. Yeah, so she, we haven't really mentioned her. By the way, it's not Marika Takuchi. One letter difference. Maria Takuchi, Marika Takuchi. Mm. Marika Takuchi is a contemporary musician who does in a lot of kind of classical sort of pop, neoclassical sort of stuff, it's not her. And that was quite confusing for me at first as well. Because Maria Takuchi, despite selling 16 million records, is quite hard to track down. Mm-hmm. And the records are all very hard to track yes, down. Yes, very much so. Um, she was born in 1955 uh, in what was at the time called Taisha in the Shimani province, which is now uh, the city of Izumo she was married to the the fellow we've been talking
0: about yeah right. so he was a producer yeah, yeah, and also released his own stuff but he was in uh the sugar sugar babe sugar. sugar babe sugar babe um but he so they met after he had produced a couple of her uh, records but sh- so she released a single after university i think mm-hmm. um and then went on to record but, well she's done like 15 records I think Uh, 11 studio
2: albums 7 compilations and 1 live record yeah although she very rarely performed live yeah she's done like less than 30 gigs in her entire life Um, interesting as well they were because of the level of their success they were like sort of regarded in you know, contemporary parlance as like the Beyonce and Jay Z yeah. of Japanese pop music. Like, they were Yeah, they were the, the super, power couple. Yeah, they, they were super yeah. famous there, like super famous. Mm-hmm. Which makes it all the more strange that we are just so oblivious.
0: But what's interesting is that so she got signed to a label and she, like she got a top ten hit, uh was one of her first ones, uh Fushiki na Pasha Pai
2: Yeah, which went to number three, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah th- I mean, the one that we're doing, "Plastic Love," as big as it is, like her breakthrough single in the West only went to number eighty
0: six, yeah, which is crazy. Um, but I mean, this, this, this album sold about half a million records in Japan, I think. Mm. And like, she often she's got like a couple of records that sold sold more than a million. Yeah, but this and this, uh, but that single again, being that that single is the
2: sort of uh, fulcrum of this entire record. That single, like mm. what didn't even merit a video at the time. Yeah, admittedly, it was eighty four, and videos were. Not as common. but Yeah, but for a a big
0: budget artist selling, you know, millions of records. Wasn't Um, until recently, they've done a video now actually for the re-release once it went viral online. But what's interesting though is, although uh, her main sort of musical partner was also, then became her life partner, partner. Tatsuro. um, She she did work with a lot of North American, uh, as well as Japanese, like producers and songwriters. Mm -hmm. Um, Might come up in a nexus later on. Indeed, <laughs> uh, but then, like you've been talking about the the flow from America and Britain to Japanese city pop, but it went back the way. One one of her tracks was then re-recorded and re-released by the Carpenters. And I have to say, I fucking hate the Carpenters with all my heart. Mm. Um, (laughs) And I wonder, to me, like, this is basically the Japanese Carpenters. (laughs) I was like, oh, fuck, wait a minute. Um, See, I don't think this is the Japanese Carpenters. I think this is much
2: more sterile. And I think it's much closer to the sort of that little disco light. Uh, Like, is it like, I would say... Like Chaka Khan, that kind of stuff Like the sort of
0: yeah, I mean, there's late a, 70s Some fucking amazing mild New York stuff in there Like Chaka Khan That
2: came from like funk But it was like funk minus any of the dramatic chord changes It was all very uh,
0: Like the, the the guys that we mentioned earlier on Was it the Ailey Brothers? Um, So it was in 1982 that uh, Takuchi married uh, Tatsuru Yamashita And she took a couple of years out to have a kid And then beyond 1984 she's continued to be hugely successful like released records i think every single record since 1984 has reached number one in the japanese chart (laughs) she releases an album and japan sits up and takes notice and buys a million of it and she's also always been a sort of songwriter and producer for other people as well so um yeah she's Sold more her, than sixteen million records. Did you hear her cover
2: of the song "Let's Get Married"? I don't actually know if it's a cover. I think it's a cover, but she has a song called "Let's Get Married." Yeah, it's on this album. On this
0: album. Is it? But I have heard it. Oh, <laughs> so fucking bad. But yeah, so I mean, I'd. I, funnily enough, I don't think this is her best record at all. Mm-hmm. I I don't think that this record is the best city pop record at all. I don't even think this is that good a record. It's just uh, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Because I wanted to talk about yeah, it. it and no, do you know what? It's like I think it is a world definitely worth delving into because there are so many fucking great tracks
2: can I just say I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say purely based on my research and let's be very fucking clear I think all this music is fucking trash but but, um, uh... Junko Hashi's album the one with skyscrapers on it that I can't remember the name of name of from 1984 seems to be a really common touchstone for people listing their favourite albums of the genre in the original kind of period of it um, also the girl that sang in Sugar Babe originally she went solo and I think one of her albums is considered to be very good
0: as well uh, yeah. I would also say Toshiki Kadomatsu C.S. lady. that's a great record C is a lady. C is a lady. a c e No, S E A. C is a lady. <laughs> as in, you know, it's yeah. a miscommun- a mistranslation, pretty much. But the ocean is a woman. I imagine is what. The, okay. The, uh, but Tatsuro Yamashita, the king himself, has got a couple of really good records. I think the best is probably for you. Tatsuro was actually my introduction to city pop. I think a few years ago, somebody shared a mix to my pal Joe. Uh, and it was like an hour long mix of like easy listening sort of stuff and it had uh, the song Love Talking Honey It's You by Tatsuro Yamshita. right
2: and
0: that song is fucking it's unbelievable how good that song is and i you need to imagine i will find that unbelievable <laughs> chris remember your former flatmate Rory danaher imagine him <laughs> as a guy, song this guy haunts me now by the way like imagine him as a song that is what it is it's just pure unbridled joy in a towel yeah exactly striding
2: across my front <laughs> room
0: <laughs> um it, like it's cheesy as fuck and it's got no hard edges at all but it's just happy, fucking background, funky music. You know that, um, I think it's Sub Pop and Matador started picking up and re-releasing some of these records and some of the more contemporary stuff. uh, Well, Light in the Attic, the record label released Pacific Breeze and it's a compilation of Japanese city pop uh, that came out earlier this year, actually. It's got fucking beautiful art by Hiroshi Nagai
2: yeah and I mean it's clearly tapping into that sort of outrun Pacific Coast Highway
0: vibe yeah and that's like a kind of culmination of the last five years of people discovering this and making huge YouTube playlists of it all and so blah 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 I mean are there any good songs in this record Plastic Love
1: plastic mm. right. love is a certified banger I think mm. I think it's genuinely one of the best pop songs I've heard in a long 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 time can we crawl our way up to two And uh, given that I
0: very much disagree with one <laughs> 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 um, um, well it's funny listening to the like. what's been interesting is that this genre has picked up because a lot of people put it on in the background and it's like study music or it's like a dinner party music and like, do you know what? Not all music has to be mashaga, or not all music You're has to be... Me that? You're the one that listens to yeah, Meshuggah with it. I know, but that's it. This is why I have, like, this is why I, I get it, kind of, is that I listen to fucking obtuse and quite draining music quite I, a lot of the time. I think you might be bipolar. <laughs> yeah, I might be musically bipolar. <laughs> so like... I listen to fucking Venetian snares and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, that's great. But then sometimes yeah, you just want love. a little cuddle. You want it, like, you can't just eat I mean, curry it, all the time. Sometimes it, you just want no, white bread. No, absolutely. You're right. But this
2: is more like
0: chewing a sheet of paper.
2: It is so fucking boring and bland and featureless and... <laughs> insipid it's so so bad I, I mean this that, is this is the worst music we've covered
1: on this entire podcast full stop I include Carly Rae Jepsen in that I would say that um I think I found it quite intellectually interesting right because it was the first it was the first, city pop, first G-pop record I'd ever listened to and I just to me it just it's like the greatest hits of like all like the most middle of the road stuff then just like made into a kind of like you say sort of jammy book kinda of weirdly recognisable but not really and it's like the Pure, like, late 70s, early 80s, like, beige stuff done slightly differently. And I thought, well, I think we've all just discussed it to death, but I find that quite intellectually... Interesting. I agree that even if musically it's not that great. Yeah, I agree that it's a very interesting
2: subject, uh, as I've hopefully illustrated by engaging fully with the subject. But I think it sounds so reduced and processed, especially through the filter of retro, that it, it almost sounds like one of those algorithmically composed songs. Like enough data was entered that it just comes out and it's more or less every one is a variation on the other, and it's so featureless that. It feels synthetic to me it, it, I really sh- It's just so hard to
1: engage On any sort of emotional level with it It's completely tedious I don't think the whole thing is quite As, as samey, I think every single song is different It's just a different interpretation of a different genre mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's funny Which like There's also um, what, even what, not, what track is, is it? it? Is it
1: Night at the Amphitheatre? Yeah, it's put Elton John <laughs>
0: Purel and John yeah. and then Let's Sing with a mercy Beat is like the Beatles, the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Is it What <laughs> are name? the sun in oh, you I, I think There's one that Basically the Cheers uh, uh, Theme tune has ripped off mm-hmm. Like it, when it When you hear it You're like Oh wait is that Cheers And you're yeah. like Oh no
1: Cheers has taken that Go instead um, Steady's got a pure Phil Spector vibe Like huge yeah. Phil Spector vibe <laughs> And you've got a massive Like fucking Diana Ross style ballad At the end of the record Which is like Completely needless Which is called "Fill your cheeks with Shetland
0: (laughs) What the fuck does that mean It's like a, a lovely little nod To Scotland But what does that mean
2: That, that reminds me more of Rory Dana. Um <laughs> See, I mean, you're right. I mean, every song is different, but I, you know, if you if if you a hundred times took a handful of cold chips and threw them on the ground,
1: yeah. they would land differently every time. But you I'm would not, just have cold chips lying in the concrete. I'm not, it's like there's nothing good about it. No, right. Yeah, so. I'm, like, I'm not. I'm not. Disagree- I'm not disagreeing with you. I just think it's quite. It's just quite <laughs> fascinating. It's a thing. It's just a really weird thing. So, I, think it's, I think it's
0: interesting. I wanted to, to take this album that, because yeah. it's the album with Plastic Love on it. And for Plastic Love for many people is the song that introduced them to City Pop. Um, I think there are better records. And you know what? I don't think albums are the way to find the things in this. It's like a whole new way of discovering music because we're 40 years or 35 years after the fact and people are just making youtube playlists because it's not available on spotify Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting seeing music disseminated in that way Mm -hmm. that yeah like i said and it's not in any way curated by professionals although it can be now that labels are you know releasing some really interesting records but like there's fucking you know thousands upon thousands of records here it's not all cold chips there are some really golden moments in here of really good mor and like that's not a dirty word necessarily. Like Steely Dan have really good songs. The Eagles have really good songs, and you've got stuff here that is equally as I good. Think this, that does a disservice
2: to both those bands, man. This is, no, no, I'm, I'm not I'm comparing not... it to those. I'm comparing this to like Phil Collins' seventh album, track nine. You <laughs> yeah, know, but, it's like no, but
0: what I'm saying is that yeah, like nine of the tracks on this eleven track record are not very good but (laughs) look look, can I I just do a context free (laughs) sample of that (laughs) Um, but what I'm saying is this as a genre is worth like going treasure hunting in because there are some fucking great tracks and there will be some great records and to be honest I've only just started discovering it Um, And I don't don't think this record should go in (laughs) I just wanted to talk about it
2: Somewhere at the bottom of this barrel Of a thousand times portions of cold chips
0: You might find a pickled onion (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think it's as bad as that There's some fucking belters in here but, I mean, so yeah. um, I, I don't know what I don't know why you're trying to argue with me that this album shouldn't <laughs> go in. I agree. All I'm saying is that it's a genre really worth discovering, and then it's also just I think it's been worth talking about because it's a weird way of discovering music. It's interesting that it's like now ironically being discovered, but then it was interesting in the first place. And um, uh, Mark, I feel really disorientated right now because
2: I'm arguing with a guy who ostensibly seems to agree with me. Yeah. Yeah. I still feel like he doesn't
0: <laughs> don't really look, uh, yeah, right. but nice I know for a fact that you don't like Plastic Love which makes you wrong because Plastic Love is a fucking brilliant song and there are lots of good tracks like that you just have to go and find them and I am going to find more over the next year I, or so I guess Punishment you should make a playlist of I will right word. fuck it I'll make a playlist of 20 songs also that are
2: all good in our, in our kind of um Western-centric uh, discussion of this, we should probably acknowledge the fact that yeah, this is very much a, an outside genre for us. It's mm. like shurio,
1: right? It tells us a curio. Yeah, it's but like it's, a really had it's had it's had a massive
2: impact on J-pop and K-pop. It's oh yeah, like, absolutely. I mean, there are artists in the Korean scene that are literally just synthesizing this now. That their mm-hmm. whole shtick is their entire catalog. It's just a much better produced version mm-hmm. of. Sometimes directly lifted chunks of these songs just pasted together in a different order. Yeah. Uh, And and there's any number of those that can be found. Some artists dip into it the way that, like, say, you've got a Katy Perry who dips into a certain style for one single or whatever. But then you've got other artists who this is their whole thing is that. And that's out with Japan. That's going into Korea with the the music industry. There's massive. And the boy groups, you know, the little boy bands and Mm -hmm. the idol bands. A lot of them are very, very informed by this as well. They are all awful, though. Every one of them.
0: (laughs) I mean, you're... I mean, I'm... Shut up!
1: <laughs> Not everything is awful just because most of it is awful. Mm. So, uh, in case you've just joined us, <laughs> uh, we are some podcasters where sometimes we agree on things, and yet again, just argue about it anyway for the fucking sake
0: of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: But so, Chris just doesn't get pop podcasting. Music.
0: So David, oh, yeah, either. <laughs> so David, you put this on, then no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well,
1: is that, mean, that the it's, first
0: time it's happened I like
1: the ultimate troll.
0: yeah Mark <laughs> look I just think that we needed a break from all this fucking miserable American indie shmimby and I wanted uh, a different cultural perspective I feel worse and
1: I wanted some sunshine because it's so fucking cold and wet outside Mark. I think uh well, I'm definitely saying no, because I don't give a single fuck about this record or this genre, really. Uh, on a musical point of view, I think from a, from like I said, from an intellectual point of view, I think it's brilliant. I think Plastic Love is a fucking great song. And I believe, Dave, when he says that there are bangers out there, because there definitely have to be. Yeah. Um, so
2: I, I genuinely, unreservedly think this is easily the worst thing that we've covered in this entire history of this podcast. Uh-huh. And I think Plastic Love is equally bad...
0: So I say yes. (laughs) Let's put it in. Great, I'm down with that. Um, So we've got a Nexus to do. This goes in, oh my god. This is a weird
1: Nexus, isn't it? This is a really weird Nexus. We're going from Japan to Italy. Yeah.
0: This is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store for us? So who chose, uh, we've got to get to um, uh, Richard Richard Benson, Benson. the Mm -hmm. Italian, English, British, Italian guitarist and music journalist, Mm -hmm. um, who's an odd bod. I did the mark. I worked backwards this time. What was I thinking? Oh, no. Well, you're going to have to go up
2: on your page. That's right. Who picked this? Uh, Who picked this? Uh, Federico Lubiani. Thanks, Um, Federico. (laughs) uh, I mean, Richard Benson, I have come across him before because my flatmate Luigi, who is... The most Italian Italian mm-hmm. uh, has sh- <laughs> showed me the videos. Ah! Oh, dia mio! Dia mio, no! Benson. Mm-hmm.
0: We'll put that on, uh, well, on the Facebook.
2: Yeah. We'll put that on YouTube Richard over the Benson. course of the next week. We'll put yeah. So a, yeah. Luigi was telling me, right, uh, there's there's a very famous shout that goes out at Richard Benson's shows of un polo, uh, which is like a chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Luigi was saying that now it's, it's evolved to, when you go to a Richard Benson show, which is usually him and his wife, although she maybe left them now. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it's usually him and his wife Demented, her playing stand-up percussion and him playing guitar and screaming mm-hmm. uh, they have a giant net that is dropped down the front of the stage because the audience bring raw chicken and throw it at the stage all the way through uh, including things like offal and full cooked chickens and if you watch the videos so much of it just goes through the net anyway and get by the end of it he's covered in raw chicken it's not very That's, vegan is yeah.
1: it yeah it's fucking nasty it's grim yeah. Like, you're, you're a vegan, you're at a
2: sausage fest, so... Yeah, that is yeah, true.
0: Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we'll get there. Um, Maria Takuchi, uh, who was uh, a collaborator and partner of uh, Tatsuro Yamashita. Uh, Tatsuro Yamashita, Love Talking, Honey It's You, is the best song ever written by anybody. And that album, uh, the album that it was from was called For You. The artwork for For You and also another few Tatsuro Yamashita uh, records was done by a Japanese artist called Elgin Suzuki. And it's a real, I love this artwork. It's not, it's not quite the same as the other artwork um, that we were talking about. Uh, It's more kind of Simpsons-y. It looks like Simpsons, but without the characters. Elgin Suzuki, very influential and famous Japanese illustrator, has done stuff with lots of uh, city pop artists, but also done stuff with a lot of uh, Japanese um commercials and big companies like Nippon and Sony and uh one of the big ones he he worked with uh, they worked with was uh Suntory whiskey the Japanese yeah. whiskey uh Suntory whiskey was uh, famously the reason why why Bill Murray's character was in Tokyo in Lost in Translation to do an advert for Suntory whiskey Good link Bill Murray <laughs> famously doesn't get on with some people. He's mm-hmm. uh, just straight up doesn't like some of his co-workers and colleagues and co-stars and things like that. And one of the f- uh, the people he's heard not to get along with was uh, Richard Donner, who directed him in a few films, including Scrooged. Uh, Richard Donner, um, inventor of the kebab. <laughs> <laughs> so he did Scrooged. Like, Richard Donner was, like, one of these 80s classic nostalgic people. Yeah. Um, still
1: going, still going.
0: Yeah, still making yeah. stuff. Uh, or, well,
1: still alive anyway. I don't know. What does he do? The I thing is, he's kind of passed on a about to his daughter now as well. Ah, uh, okay. Um, but he's been responsible for, like, X-Men and stuff like that as but
0: well. But he, he did uh, The Goonies, Superman, and then Lethal Weapon. Uh, Well, all four Lethal Weapons, actually. And I think in Lethal Weapon 2, they introduce a character... Uh, who is played by Joe Pesci,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, who then stays in Lethal Weapon 3 and 4. Uh, I mean, Lethal Weapons are weird because mm-hmm. it have got Danny Glover and Joe Pesci in it and Mel Gibson but <laughs> and Renny Russo, they're, and Russo mm. but it, they're Lethal Weapon. <laughs> like, I don't know, a weird mix. Uh, but Joe Pesci, um, he played Frankie in Once Upon a Time in America. Once Upon a Time was... In America was the third of the Once Upon a Time trilogy by Italian filmmaker
1: Sergio Leone. David, mm-hmm. I think you've stolen my link at the end.
0: Yes. Uh, I mean, it a, had to happen. I mean, a <laughs> Yeah, this had to happen, though, because these two people were so obscure. Yeah. Uh, so Sergio Leone would be described as the mentor of... Uh, Carlo Verdone oh no you haven't oh no we've hey. got two different oh, holy shit <laughs> uh, uh, Carlo Verdone is an Italian screenwriter and film director and he directed a film in 1982 called Maledetto El Giono Shit, il incontrato <laughs> you can tell that I'm, I've got Italian blood in me <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and in that film Richard Benson played himself wow and that is my connection thanks mm-hmm. very much guys was heavy on the films, David. So I would deduct points, but I am not the
1: public. <laughs> <laughs> I too went kind of heavy on the films. So there we go. Um, so as we've already spoke, spoken about, um, Maria Takuchi has has some American artists playing some of her records. Her album, her fourth album, Miss M, had drums played by Jeff Porcaro, who was the original drummer for Toto, one of the founding members, and of course the brother of Steve Porcaro, who's the keyboard player in in Toto. He's also like a really famous session musician. Like he's played drums for, he played drums on Beat It, he played drums on like A Prayer, um, a bunch of Diana Ross songs with Springsteen, Richard Marks, Pink Floyd, Paul McCartney, just so many fucking people. So like he definitely got around. Toto also did the soundtrack for the David Lynch film Dune which starred Kel McLaughlin uh, Patrick Stewart Dean Stockwell and an Italian actress called Sylvana Mangano who played the Reverend Mother of now she's you probably don't really know who she is but you might know her husband her husband was uh, Dino De Laurentiis who was a massive 80s movie, movie producer Dino De Laurentis. Dino De Laurentiis yeah uh-huh. mm-hmm. Um, and he did things like Blue Velvet Maximum Overdrive which was spoke about a few weeks ago even mm-hmm. King's like coked up madness oh, okay. um, Manhunter Dead Zone Serpico Hannibal, Evil Dead 2, that kind of thing. Um, Mangano also starred in a few films that were scored by Ennio Morricone. And uh, Ennio Morricone's soundtrack for the Spanish film La Luis po- Portuguesa <laughs> I can't. <I'm laughs> I don't right. even want to correct yeah. it, it, was too nice. Um, <laughs> was uh, mastered by a chap called Fabrizio de Carolis, Carolis. And he also mastered Richard Benson's latest album, on uh, Inferno Del Viva.
2: I can there hear my Italian flatmate tearing his beard right out of his face. Yeah, I know. <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, okay, now, uh, because I did a mark, this I might be a little bit hesitant here, so I'll have to work backwards. Okay, um, so Maria Takeshi was married to Tatsu Yamshita. still is married to Tatsu Yamshita. Uh, in 2008, Tatsu Yamshita released a double A-side single... Uh, which included the song La Vie en Rose, uh, which was originally made famous by Edith Piaf, Mm. and uh, who was also famous for the song Je Ne Regrette Rien. Um, Edith Piaf was actually denied uh, a religious funeral due to Cardinal Maurice Felton uh, disapproving of her lifestyle. You know, she was married multiple times and... I don't think she was notoriously mental, but he just was a little bit of a conservative guy. I stuck in the mud, stuck in the mud. Yeah, he's also a member of the Catholic Church, so that's no surprise. Um, but yeah, so Maurice Felton was the Cardinal of Santa Maria della Pace uh, and Archbishop of Paris. Um, and in 1952, <laughs> in Dijon, in France, a procession of Eight-year-old boys <laughs> <laughs> burned in effigy. Santa Claus. Uh, Santa Claus was cancelled by Maurice Felton. Uh, well, I don't know. They just uh, they, they thought it was uh, disrespectful and idolatrous or something. I'm not sure. The, the, the song... Uh, so I'm working backwards here, so it's a little bit difficult. Um, the, the song, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus about Santa Claus Mm -hmm. uh, from 1970 is by The Jackson Five. So
0: you look down on me about links of people who have actually worked in films together, whereas just the concept of Santa Claus for you is a concrete link. <laughs> Santa Claus
2: is a character. <laughs> we, we, we have dealt with characters. We did Mowgli last week, for God's sake. He's not a real character. If, if somebody burned an effigy of Mowgli, that would link to Mowgli. Mm. So just because Santa Claus is famous, don't, mm. don't, don't get all fucking mm. snobby about it, man. Just okay. because Santa Claus is well-known, yeah. they burned an effigy of Santa Claus and Michael Jackson sang about Santa Claus as mm. part of the Jackson 5. There's an underlying theme in this. If uh... you you're a listener,
1: <laughs> If as a listener disagree with that, then please give us some money and let us know. Right It's interesting that,
0: that. you... Um, I mean, the, I mean uh, the fact that you could have linked just the Catholic Church to Michael Jackson... I I'd, did have a
2: note that said... <laughs> I did have a note that said child abuse to an archbishop, there's probably an easier way to do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, Michael Jackson... Oh, my God, this is so difficult to work backwards, Mark. I feel bad for you now, mate. Um, Michael Jackson, uh, actually, of the Jackson 5 uh, and child abuse, uh, tried to buy the original
1: Chitty Chitty Bang Bang car. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, a PFL would do
2: that. smell
1: the seat. <laughs> what I need to ask, though, is why didn't they buy the Childcatchers fan instead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been too obvious. Um, do you know
2: that uh, Graham Hill, duration car, uh, driver, once got the chitty, chitty, bang, bang, original car up to 120 miles per hour on a test track? How? Was fucking it was a real car. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's old. It's fucking old. Yeah, it? like, it's true. Jesus. Honestly, it's true. That's, that's um, impressive, though in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang by the way Phil Collins was in that film as a child actor wow (laughs) that's weird we talk about that earlier on Um, yeah so the writer of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was Ian Fleming Mm -hmm. who also wrote James Bond Mm mhm Apparently, by the way, he wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because his eight-year-old son, Casper Fleming, said, Daddy, you love James Bond more than you love me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's what my child will say to me when I'm (laughs) 15 years.
2: David, you love City Pop more than you love me. Um, Yeah,
0: so uh,
2: in the film Spectre, uh, uh, 007, 007, 007, uh, aka Daniel Craig, Kind of uh, parachutes, The thing he actually is it a helicopter he jumps out of. Um, he parachutes onto it's called the Ponte Sisto footbridge uh, in Rome, uh, and that very same Ponte Sisto footbridge is the footbridge which in 2004 uh, Richard Benson took a tumble off. As in, <laughs> widely regarded it was a suicide attempt, but it's sort of retrospectively been written off as just a, oh, he just happened to fall off that bridge. um, And that was like a big turning point in the guy's life because uh, he was into some mad, mad shit before that and he seemed to kind of sort himself out a little bit afterwards. But yeah, that's my um, link back to Richard Benson working backwards, which is actually really fucking hard. By the way, Richard Benson, is he in a Lady Gaga video? Uh, basically, there's a character in a, Rich- in a Lady Gaga video that Richard Benson claims as him in a blonde wig and has done for years. He said he was invited to be in the video. He's hes lied about so many fucking things. Man, He's hes hes a, a consistent hoaxer. He, uh, he also says he was involved somehow in Brian Jones's death, the guy for the Rolling Stones. Uh, I mean, he's just a fucking
0: mad ass. I watched the episode of The Sopranos last night that a young Lady Gaga is in, Funnily enough. Mm. There you go. Wow. that would be a Nexus link that doesn't exist. Never doing it backwards. <laughs> Never doing it backwards again. That was that was tough. Uh, all right. Well, thanks very much. Uh, go and vote uh, if you want to troll us. Put it in. <laughs>
2: it definitely. Like I trolled it. these guys. If you uh, you've got a problem us? with Santa Claus and the Nexus, then fucking come at me.
0: <laughs> uh, Chris, it's your choice. What were you doing? Something Next miserable. Week on is male. my choice.
2: I thought after all that levity, we uh-huh. should really get back down to business. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is going to be we'll see how it performs but by far the most recent of any of the the nominations that we've put forward it's going to be uh, Remind Me Tomorrow by the singer-songwriter Sharon Van Etten um, Give you that quite a departure stylistically for her and I think and from Sight and from Sight Pop uh, I think it will it'll be an interesting discussion
0: great alright thanks very much cheers guys see you next week Uh, Can you leave a sample of Plastic Love On the end On the end of the shitty podcast